the other side of midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. Well, it has finally happened. The once dominant Republican Party in New York State, which used to elect governors, mayors, U.S. senators and have control of the state Senate, is no longer the second largest voting bloc in the state of New York. That's right. In the latest enrollment numbers released from the New York State Board of Elections, blanks, people that are called independents or unaffiliated voters in most states, people who choose not to enroll in any political party, have now surpassed Republicans as the second highest voter group in the state. Across New York, Democrats still lead in registration with just over 6 million voters, but blanks now rank second with about 2.8 million, while Republicans register at about 2.7 million. I think a lot of this, and look, I think I'm technically considered an unaffiliated voter because I was registered in a party that lost ballot access, so I think the Board of Elections considers me a blank. But I think a lot of this is due to a general dissatisfaction among New Yorkers with both parties. They don't trust the Democrats, they don't trust the Republicans, and they find the political process far too polarized. That is why, for the life of me, I can't understand why the GOP has not adopted my suggestion that I have been making for literally years to open up Republican primaries to blanks two unaffiliated voters. They could do this on their own, vote on it by themselves, just pass a simple rules change, and voila, blanks would be voting in Republican primaries. What that would do is two things. One, you'd see Republicans nominating candidates that were more electable in the general election because they appealed to blanks. And two, it would send the message to blanks who are paying the costs of these primary elections to begin with that, yes, we want you to participate in our process. We welcome you. We welcome your input. We want you to be a part of our big tent. If the Republicans continue to go down this path, they will continue to be a minor party for many years to come, and you'll continue to see the Democrats dominate every level of state government and all statewide offices. If you're a Republican state committee member, please consider adopting this proposal. If you're a Republican and you're not in the party leadership, consider running for party leadership and make this part of your platform. Political independents are people too. Beam me up. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. I'm not sure if you've been following the discussion on the Cats at Night show, which you should be listening to every evening at 5 p.m. over the last couple of days, over the battle over these 5G cell phone antenna towers. If you haven't followed this, as I understand it, the city of New York plans to build a network of 32-foot-high 5G cell phone antenna towers on the Upper East Side, and the community is up in arms. Now, this is affecting a lot of very fashionable areas, including the Madison Avenue Shopping District, and Mayor Eric Adams is going to have to respond to this and deal with this. The Office of Technology and Innovation is overseeing the installation of 2,000 Link 5G street towers across the city to bolster service, but a lot of residences and a lot of businesses are 
complaining these towers are not only an eyesore, but there are potential environmental health hazards and they could potentially attract vagrants. There was a, a scientist or a doctor on with John last night. You can listen to the podcast at uh, WABCradio.com that said he won't come into Manhattan if these 5G cell phone towers get put up everywhere because of the damage that these cell phone towers can do to your cells. Now, I have no idea if that's accurate or not, but it doesn't appear to me that the city has produced any data showing that having these cell phone towers this close to people is safe. It certainly seems like it might not be. State Assemblywoman Rebecca Seawright, who represents the Upper East Side, she even sent a letter to the mayor calling for a moratorium on 5G expansion. I like cell phone service as much as the next guy, but at what cost, ladies and gentlemen? Meantime, if you are listening to this show at 2 o'clock in the morning, there's a pretty good chance you are a diehard WABC listener, and you may just want a poster signed by morning show host Sid Rosenberg. Even Sid can't believe that we're giving posters away signed only by him. I told him about this yesterday for the first time. He was dumbfounded. But sure enough, you can join the 77 WABC VIP club by downloading the app or going to wabcradio.com slash VIP to join. It's the newest and most rewarding way to be part of the WABC family. Every week, we're going to give away great prizes. And who knows? Maybe one week, I'll even get to sign something and you'll get a chance to win that. But in all seriousness, there are celebrity meet and greets, there's concert tickets, there's signed memorabilia, and all sorts of other great things. All you have to do is go to wabcradio.com slash VIP club. If you sign up, you'll receive a special members-only newsletter and be entered to win all sorts of great prizes each week, some of which will probably be signed by Sid Rosenberg. Feel free to join the VIP club and say you'd like something signed by me as well. We'll see how that goes over. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. One of the things that I have praised Mayor Eric Adams for wholeheartedly is the city's new policy regarding tougher involuntary psychiatric treatment policies, and I am very pleased to see the city moving in this direction. We've had too many administrations treat schizophrenia and severe violent mental illness as a civil right to be protected instead of an illness that needs to be treated. And I'm glad that Mayor Eric Adams is holding to his guns on this one in the face of a lot of opposition from civil rights groups and others. But there's one person that has been a voice in the wilderness on this issue, and I want to give a little bit of credit to him. E. Fuller Tory. He's now 85 years old. He's a psychiatrist suffering from Parkinson's disease. He's been a psychiatrist and schizophrenia researcher for years. He has been advocating for this for decades. Dr. Tory, who's done all sorts of pioneering research into the biological basis of schizophrenia, has used all these stories going back to the 1980s of the violently mentally ill in service of an argument that it was a mistake for the United States to shut down its public psychiatric hospitals without adequate follow-up care. And unfortunately, it seems like too often his warnings to the public has fallen upon deaf ears. It was he, Dr. Tory, that said to remedy this, the government should create systems to compel seriously mentally ill people in the community to get treatment. 
and for much of his career, Dr. Tory was a lonely voice on this issue. He was disavowed by patient advocacy groups and by organized psychiatry, but his ideas, thanks to this new policy shift by Mayor Eric Adams, are now seeing the light of day. And the New York Times, to their credit, did a profile on Dr. Tory and giving him some credit as the guy that's been advocating for this for decades. And Dr. Tory was quoted in that Times article, and I think he's right on the money on this one, in saying this is the largest single attempt to change the thing that we said we wanted to change. I think the stakes are large because if it fails, if you have no improvement at all, I think people give up for another decade, just live with it for another decade before somebody else comes along with a new idea. He's exactly right. And by the way, lest anyone try to paint Dr. Tory as unfeeling and unsympathetic to the violently mentally ill, what sparked his decision to become a psychiatrist and his advocacy on this issue is the fact that his sister suffered from severe schizophrenia. And when he became a psychiatrist himself, he fantasized about rounding up all the psychiatrists who had all these nonsense theories and putting them on trial in a football stadium. The stakes for this are remarkably high, and we need to all be rooting for Eric Adams' policy on this to work. Whether you voted for him or not, and I didn't vote for him, we need this policy to succeed. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Yesterday, it was announced that the city of New York is going to be renaming a Central Park entrance for the group of men, not so young anymore, a group of men that they call the Exonerated Five. If you're not familiar with the term the Exonerated Five, that's because for decades they were known as the Central Park Five. They were thought to be central to the rape and assault of the Central Park jogger. Now, the Central Park jogger has no idea who raped her, and someone else has confessed to that crime, and his DNA was found inside the Central Park jogger. That being said, and I'm all for getting people out of prison, I don't think these five men are as innocent as the city of New York is acting like they are. And if you listen to the words of the investigators on that case, including police officer Eric Reynolds, who spoke with CNN's Michael Smirkanish three years ago, there seems to be ample evidence to suggest that these men were involved in assaulting this Central Park jogger, even if they didn't rape her. Well, it wasn't that I think that there was a connection. We knew there was a connection. We had arrested five, um, two of which were part of the Central Park Five, Raymond Santana and Kevin Richardson. We were going to release them. We were releasing them to their parents. We did not believe that they had anything to do with the attack on the jogger. Okay, but we were interviewing them before we released them so that in just in the in the um, event that they saw what happened, we might be able to get that information. I released two of them. We got to Kevin Richardson. Kevin Richardson had a scratch on his face. When we asked him how he got the scratch, he first lied and said that my partner did it. Uh, When confronted, you know, with the fact that we were going to go ask my partner, he then admitted that the female jogger scratched his face. That's the first we realized that they were involved with the attack on on Patricia Mealy. These men are out of prison. These men have gotten 
tens of millions of dollars from the taxpayers of the city of New York. But I think if you listen to what Eric Reynolds says, not only there, but in countless other writings and interviews, if you listen to what the people that actually worked on this case say, the only reason that these men were found out as being involved in this case to begin with is because they confessed to it. The confessions were not coerced. None of them were assaulted. None of them were hurt. Their parents were present for all these interrogations. Let's not hold these people up to be saints. I don't think they are. Beam me up. To be continued.